All right, tonight we're in First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I believe, right? First Corinthians 7. Good night last night, everything went relatively smooth, not a whole lot of, no injuries, Got a lot of band-aids went out, but not a lot of, no splints, so that was a good night, I guess. I think the next thing on the list is going to be Operation Christmas Child, if I'm not mistaken. There's nothing in between. That's it. So getting geared up more for that. As you get into 1 Corinthians 7, this is uh, where Paul um, answers some of their questions. This is where we get our first inkling that they had written him after his first letter. So he wrote a uh, first first Corinthians. They wrote a letter back to him, and this is really, 1 Corinthians is really probably 2 Corinthians. Uh, not to confuse you, but it doesn't matter. We don't have the first letter. It must not have been important. Um, it must have been covered in all the other epistles, and so God didn't see fit to put um, it in there. So we have this letter, and uh, chapter 7 is the beginning of him answering some of their questions. And they had a question about marriage. Um, I'll give you a little um, set the stage for this at the church. Obviously, we as as a church, as a, as a body of believers um, worldwide, we we expect the soon coming return of Jesus Christ. We're always looking for him to come. We expect him immediately. There's nothing left in prophecy that needs to take place for Jesus to return and take his bride home. We're just waiting, and so every day is an opportunity for Christ to come in, in the clouds. And you know, we look up for your redemption draws near. We see things getting. Kind of interesting down here every once in a while, maybe every 10 or 15 years, you see the world begin to bubble up, you know, um, like a watched pot. It boils a little bit, and you get excited, and then the bubbles go away, and you're like, okay, it's not a little bit longer. And so you wait for it, and you start looking up because you think, well, things couldn't get much worse than this, you know. Um, and so we all live that way expectantly. We go about our lives as if, you know, he may not come. Um, we make our plans. We, we, we go to the grocery store and buy a week's worth of groceries, not just a day's worth, you know. Um, but this is, you know, we, it's been 2,000 years, and so it's, it's not hard for us to maintain that because uh, that, that, that level of, of anticipation because we only live for 100 years. And so when we're born again, we're excited. We look for them and, and – uh, we're encouraged throughout Scripture to keep that anticipation. No matter how long you walk with Jesus, you just don't know what generation or what year or what day or what month he's going to come. No one knows the hour except for the Lord, the Father. So that being said, the church here, um, Paul especially, uh, I mean, they, they live like we're not going to the grocery store for a week. That's how they lived. We saw that in the book of Acts, when the church first formed, everybody gave everything they had, sold their possessions, laid them at the apostles' feet, and the apostles began to distribute to the needs of the saints evenly. You know, the millionaires gave up all their money, the, the poverty-stricken still joined the church, and everybody got an even share until they ran out of money. And then you start seeing them collect from the Gentile churches, from the, from the outers, and they're bringing that that tithe in, Paul would bring that tithe into the poor church in Jerusalem. And then they realized, you know what, it, it may be longer than we think, kind of thing. So we kind of need to occupy until he comes. And that's kind of our position today. We occupy this world until he comes. We don't hold on to it. We don't become entangled in it. But we do occupy. And we hold our ground and we live as examples of Christ so when Paul writes in this seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians about marriage, he's thinking that way. He's still thinking it could be any day now. And so what's the point of getting married? What's the point of, you know, and so on. And you'll see him toggle here. It's almost like he's in that valley of decision right now where I, I you know, for years I've been living like it's going to be tomorrow or tonight. But now I'm kind of seeing I'm not so sure when. I don't have a timeline, so practically speaking, how, how much do we plan? And how much do we look to the future? Do we have five-year plans? Do we have one-year plans? Do we have 10-year plans? Do we go ahead and make plans, but we go ahead and throw them out the window because you never know if Christ is going to come back again? You can see him in this chapter kind of 
wondering, what should I do? How should I teach these people? How should I lead? And so, verse 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better uh, to marry than to burn with passion. So you can see him there. You know, it would be great if we could all just kind of handle this, you know, and don't be entangled with these things. He's going to get into that a little bit further. Get entangled with marriage, because it can be an entanglement. He's going to explain why. He's not down on it at all. He's for it. But he thinks, you know, if Christ is coming, we don't have a lot of enough, we don't have enough time to get the gospel out to every single person on the whole earth. You can't be worrying about mortgages, and you can't be worried about families and what your wife's feeling or what your husband's feeling. Let's just get out there and spread the gospel as far as we can, because, you know... You're light. When you're by yourself, when you're single, you can just take off and go and you don't have to worry about it. It's not a consideration what the other person's thinking. And so he was thinking, it'd be, you know, it'd be great if you could stay like I am. But no, we don't know what he is. We have an idea and we have an understanding that he was married because he was a part of the Sanhedrin and yet he's single now, now that he's either been widowed or she divorced him because he became a Christian. We just don't know. One of the two's taken place because he doesn't have a wife now. But Apparently, he's been given this gift of celibacy to where he doesn't burn with lust. He doesn't burn with passion. He doesn't have those kind of thoughts anymore, or who knows. And so he says that to them. It would be great if you could stay like I am, but this isn't a command. It's not like God saying nobody should ever get married. You should get married if you can't have any self-control, if you have a problem. Not a problem. It's not really a problem. He doesn't call it a problem. I think I did, and I shouldn't have. If you have natural urges that God's given you, natural desires for the woman, natural desires for the man, then by all means, get married. You need to. But if you have the gift of celibacy, then feel free to not get married. It's, it's okay, and it's a good thing. It keeps you light on your feet. It keeps you movable. And so he lets them know that. Now, let's back up a little bit and understand this. So, so suppose you don't have the gift of self-control. Suppose you don't have the gift of celibacy. And it is a desire in your heart. Um, he says it's good. Don't sacrifice, uh, or not sacrifice, don't, don't uh, embrace this freedom of being single and then live in sexual immorality so that you can be single. You, you don't get to justify that in your mind, God says. And Paul says, or God says through Paul here, you don't get to do whatever you want to do in, for the sake of the ministry. You know, no, no, no. No, if you do have that desire in your heart, you need to get married. You need to do that. And when you are married, keep this in mind, you married folks, he says. Um, you don't own your body anymore. It belongs to the other. Either way. Wives, you own your husband. So guys, when you get dressed by your wife and she buys you a shirt, well, you have to wear it. You just do. It's required. And I won't go the other way. Gals, you don't have authority over your own body anymore. It's a good thing. It's designed that way. He wants it to be that way. Render the affection due to the husband. Render the affection due to the wife. Give that to them. Don't hold back. If you do want to hold back, he gives very specific instructions for when you can do that. Obviously, there's a time of the month when you must do that. It's required. But there's also if you want to give time for fasting and prayer. Feel free, but you, you need to be in agreement. You can't just, <laughs> you can't use that as the Christian version of the headache, you know. 
I'm sorry, I'm fasting and praying right now. I'm so, oh, she's fasting and praying again? How many times are you going to fast and pray this month? I'm, not try, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it a little bit light, but it's a very serious problem. I don't think, you know, someone's got to talk about it, and I'm the guy up here, so I get to do it. Um, and I don't have a problem with it. I'm not shy. That's, that's my problem is I need to, I'm trying to have tact um, and not say exactly what's going through my head right now. But um, um, you need to render the affection due. Um, I'll give you an example. Maybe this is the best way to go about it. If you're hungry, you have a refrigerator to go to. And it's not on a timer. <laughs> There's no schedule. There's no lock. Nobody has a key to it. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you're one of those people who needs it, right? I, I, I could use one after 11 o'clock at night, put a lock on that fridge and let me go to bed. But I, there isn't one. It's free and open anytime, anytime. And I know that about my fridge, and so I don't stand there and stare at it all day long. Or I don't go looking around for other fridges. It's open. It's available to me anytime I want, anytime there's a hunger or desire. Now, I need to exercise self-control in that area. I need to be wise about it. I don't want to be addicted to food. I don't want to be you know, constantly going and, and, and emptying that fridge out all the time. I need to consider that. But it needs to be open all the time. And there's something about that. When that hunger is satisfied, when that desire, that natural God-given hunger and desire is satisfied and I'm full, I stop. I tell you what, you lock that thing up, and the interesting thing is when you lock it up, you know it's locked up. That's all you can think about is the fact that that fridge is locked up. I'm not really hungry, but the fact that it's locked, I want it all the more. And it causes a person to think, and they get hungry, and they get more hungry, and they get more hungry, and there's no other way to satisfy that desire except by going to the fridge. And you're not allowed to go to any other fridges. You've got to go to that fridge, but that fridge is constantly locked. It's got to be open. They've got to have access. They need to satisfy that hunger. God has not authorized them to go any other place legally to satisfy that hunger. And if you lock that fridge up, understand the disservice you're doing to the person, how hard that is for that person. They must become, they have to starve to death. Keep the fridge open. Let them eat. It's a, it's a requirement. It's necessary. It's God-given. Um, to not do that is to cause a, there's a binge or a purge that takes place. Eating disorders can come from that kind of mentality and that desire and that lack of availability. Um, you maybe stop by the store and grab a whole box of ho-hos and eat those on the way home. And you binge on that. It's not good for you. It's not going to help you. It's not healthy at all. And everybody knows that. And everything in there is going to give you cancer and kill you. You've got to keep that fridge open. Because that's where the healthy food is. That's where the, the lawful food is. That's where the healthy eating habits are formed. It's very important. I think that's the best way I could describe it to you. I hope you understand, obviously. It's not that <laughs> concealed in that metaphor but and guys <laughs> so obviously you know who I was talking about there guys <laughs> we don't have a problem with the fridge being open most of us don't not everybody's the same but we don't but don't go get a box of ho-hos and then come home and say I'm not hungry um That desire that the woman has, the affection that she needs, is, is usually, usually not the same affection that you need. So when you say, well, I don't have a problem with this verse. I got this down. I'm ready to give affection anytime she wants it. it. It's probably not what you think. That's not what she wants. It's not what she needs. She needs to talk. She needs to communicate. She needs to feel close. She needs to feel protected. She needs to feel provided for. She needs to feel like... That's not why you're in her life, for that. 
for the fact that she could meet that need of yours. She needs to know that she's important, that she's a human being, that she's a person, that she's a daughter of the Most High God, that she's a princess in the kingdom of heaven. And so she, that you have a very serious father-in-law on your hands, guys, that you need to pay attention to. And he's watching you and how you treat her and how you behave with respect, with love, with a human being that has dreams and desires and abilities that need to be exercised. I tell you what, guys, you give her that, the fridge stays open. If she feels a lack in those areas, if she feels like that isn't, she's not getting that affection she desires, you know, guys may stop for a box of ho-hos, but she may find someone that has an ear, that does want to listen, that does understand her, that can counsel her, that can give her advice, that, that gives her the attention uh, away from the phone and into her eyes, you know. And what meant was started off with just, I just needed some understanding from some other male can turn into, once he gives her that understanding, all of a sudden she begins to allow him access. She begins to meet his needs. That's how affairs start. That's how, not affairs, that's how adultery happens. Either way, keep the fridge locked, you can plan on it. You don't give her the affection due. I don't know if you could plan on it or not. It seems like women have much more self-control than guys do, but you're not helping her. You're not making her life easy. She's a human being that's hitched her wagon to you. Guys, pay attention to that. She's been told by God to follow wherever you lead. She doesn't really have an option. Where are you leading her? Is she blessed? Is her the life, the best life she could ever have? Does she appreciate it? Is she excited? Do you listen to her? Okay. <laughs> Render the affection to your wife, Paul says. Render the affection to your husband. Marriage works better that way. Now, I believe me, you could all have self-control. You, some, some expect supernatural self-control in this area. Well, can't you? How long? Can, he said specifically, if you want to fast or if you want to pray. Go ahead and separate for a while, as long as you're in agreement. So you agree. How, how, how often is the fridge supposed to be open? I don't know. How long can you fast from food? How long have you fasted from food? I bet I don't have any hands that could say past three days. I haven't eaten in three days, you know. You may be going for that 40-day Jesus thing, you know, like he did. Okay. If you can fast from food for three days, and about that's about how long you need to fast from having the fridge open. That may be shocking to you or eye-opening to you. Um, there, I said it, okay? So Paul says, hey, let them let have access to one another. Give yourselves over to the other, and it's out of love. It's out of respect. It's out of compassion, it's of understanding, it's out of under, you're a human being with needs and desires and all those things. Um, understand that about the person. Um, don't deprive. Do not deprive one another. So, verse 8. I did verse 8, sorry. Anyway, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. The final thing there, I guess, is if you can't um, control yourself, get married. If you don't have that gift, you need to get married. Okay. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So beside the food subject in this the focus there is verse 3 where he says they're forbidding to marry. That's, that's in the latter days they're going to forbid to marry. Don't get married. You're more holy if you don't get married. There's more, and you can see scripturally that that's not accurate. So if someone promotes that, today, 
uh, whether that's in a denomination or whether that's in a religion where you're just better off if you don't marry, it just makes you more devoted man of God or woman of God? Probably not, since God says that's not the case, that that's a, a doctrine of demons is to not get married, okay? Um, so keep that in mind. Um, you, you may have the gift of singleness, and that's great, and Paul it, 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 uh, acknowledges that that's a gift that God can give you, but it, but it isn't normal. I mean, it isn't, it's rare is what I'm saying. It isn't typical. So um, if, you can, if you can, great. If you can't, then get married um, because you don't want to live in sexual immorality. Verse 10, now, to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. So now he's switching gears. Now, the before was my opinion, not a command, just how I observe things. This is a command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now, remember, in context, he's saying, in the case of you becoming a Christian, that doesn't mean you say, I'm a Christian now, I married you when I wasn't, you need to go. I'm throwing out all my baggage right now, and well, you're on the list. I'm not going to cuss anymore, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm not going to be married anymore. Paul says, no, you can't do that. Don't, don't do that. Um, if you do get divorced or if something happens and we don't know what happened to Paul, then stay that way, remain that way. Um, don't divorce him to get him. Okay? Um, that's, that's not appropriate. It's not what the Christians are supposed to do. And he explains why. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in, in, in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? couple things. First of all, the word sanctified there. How do you know, you know, if you, if you don't stay married to him, the husband's sanctified by you. Don't you know that? So if you leave, he's not sanctified anymore. He's not talking about salvation. Some people get confused and say that because the wife is a believer, the husband's automatically getting into heaven because he's sanctified. It's like, no. Um, and that's proven in the, in the last verse here. As he, as he goes through this, they're sanctified. If you left them, how do you know that they wouldn't get saved? So he's not talking about salvation when he says sanctification. He says sanctified just means you're set apart. The, the house is blessed because you've got a believer in the home. There's a believer in the home. It's set apart for his service. There's a, there's a neat thing going on there, whether it's a husband or just the wife. Either way, there's, there's a beautiful thing taking place there. You're set apart. And your kids are going to learn the ways of the Lord despite that unbeliever in the household. Don't. Don't get rid of them if they're willing to live with you. But if they're not, you don't have to go running and chasing after them, he says. You're not called to that. You're not in bondage to that. You can let them go, he says. God has called us to peace. And sometimes those are peaceful breaks, you know. Sometimes salvation comes to one and not to the other, and it's a pretty interesting deal at the house, you know. It doesn't have to be a lot of times. Sometimes people are just bothered by being in the presence of a Christian. It just drives them crazy to be around someone who's a believer. Other people, believers, can make it intolerable for the unbeliever to even be around them. Every morning I get up and lipstick on the wind, you know, First Timothy, there it is. Every time I get up, i got to clean the mirror because my wife's writing Scripture for me to read because I'm not saved. Or there's notes under my pillow and in my lunchbox and, you know, She's constantly dragging, you know, are you going to go to church today? Nagging me and nagging me and nagging me. That, that's not what he's talking about here. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this tells either of us, believing wife or believing husband, how you're supposed to treat. I'm gonna, it's talking about wives, but it's, it works both ways. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some... Do not obey the word, they without a word, they without a word, they without a word, 
may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise. Husbands likewise. That means everything he just said to the wife applies to you as well, applies to me as well. As believing husbands with an unbelieving wife, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You too have to be gentle, quiet spirit. That's a blessing for anybody. That's a blessing for the husband to be towards the wife. It's a blessing for the wife to be towards the husband, to have that gentle, quiet spirit. That's a blessing. God says that's very precious. That's just not for ladies. That's for anybody. You know. I can be loud and obnoxious. I know. It's hard to believe, but I can be. But when I'm around my wife, I have to I take her temperature, basically. What's she in the mood for? Is she in the mood for wacky JD? Or is she in the mood for, I'm not in the mood for wacky JD, you know? I need to pay attention to that and come home and not be like the Proverbs say, someone who sings loudly in the morning and his neighbors are like, oh, shut up, you know? doesn't exactly say that, but that's the idea. I want to have what she needs from me, you know? Believer or unbeliever, we need to be that way. Being submissive to them. Remember who you are. If you're anything, to be honest with you, there's no such thing as men's ministry and women's ministry. No such thing. It's something the church has made up. Okay, there's Christians and there's not Christians. Everybody gets the same. We all have to be Christians to whoever is the unbeliever around us. It may be your husband, it may be your wife, whatever. It could be a stranger, it could be a co-worker, but we're to be Christians and they're not Christians, and so we need to be the same with them. And so every verse in the Bible is a men's ministry verse. Every verse in the Bible is a women's ministry verse, every one of them. That's why when you read these in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, it applies to both. It's good to be submissive. Jesus was submissive to the disciples. He washed their feet. He took care of them. He provided for them. He had grace and mercy for them. When they kept falling asleep, when he asked them just to stay up and pray with him while he's going through that tough time and they didn't, it's for all of us. It's for everybody. And so, Paul tells them that. Stay with them. It, it, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can stay with him. Am I supposed to, my, my whole life is supposed to be spent putting up with this? Someone might ask. It is. It, it's no different than as if, maybe you, don't, maybe you didn't want your marriage to be like that. I'm sorry. But it's no different than saying, I'm going to Africa for the rest of my life and serving in a people group that doesn't know Jesus. Your, your mission field, your ministry is right there in your house. Just be grateful you get to sleep in your own bed and you get to eat normal food. But you've got a, a, you know, a jungle person living with you that you've got to minister to. You know? Just consider them a, you know, someone from the lost tribe in the Amazon or something like that, and, and, and they're crazy, and they wear loincloths, and you've you got to minister to them every single, you know, minister to your unbelieving husband, minister to your unbelieving wife. Some of these missionaries spend years with these tribes until they become a part of the tribe, until they can be trusted, until they can be understood. They become like the tribe, not compromising their walk in G- with Jesus, but they become like them and they're there for them and they see, my goodness, you serve us, you take care of us, you watch out for us. You're not like any other missionary that's ever come here before. Maybe that's what your husband needs. Maybe that's what your wife needs. You know, as unbelievers. I've run into Christians before. That's why I don't go to church, honey. I've been there. I've experienced Christianity your job, your mission, if you should choose to accept it from Jesus Christ, is to show them Christ. Show them Jesus, not Christianity. Not what they've run into at church. Show them Jesus. And if it takes a lifetime 
to get one person saved. And God chose you to be that one person in that person's life to get them saved. You're going to heaven. That's a done deal. Eternity's with me, but I've got a mission for you. Until you get back up here, bring that other one with you. What if it takes 30 years, 40 years? But because of your chaste conduct, without a word, your care, your love, your grace, and your mercy shown day in and day out may break that rock, that stony heart that only you have the ability to do. And so Paul says, stay with them if you can, because you don't know if they're going to get saved or not. What if they do? Yeah, but what if they don't? Then they're left without an excuse when they stand before Jesus and they say, I never knew you. Are you kidding me? She was sleeping right beside you for 40 years. When you saw her, you saw me, Thomas. She was just like me. Oh, without an excuse. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And I switch his gears a little bit. How were you called? How did you get saved? What, what, what stage in life were you? And so I ordain in all the churches, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. It's okay to be a believing Jew. You don't have to you know, renounce your faith as a Jew. You can be a completed Jew, a believing Jew. There's nothing wrong with that. Jews are supposed to get saved. Jesus was a Jew. He was saved. So was Peter, you know, James, John, all Jews saved. They didn't have to become un-Jewish. They just, they were still children of Abraham, still children of Isaac, still children of, of, uh, of uh, Jacob. But they were believers. And so, same way, don't become uncircumcised. Let, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Were you a Gentile when you got saved? Let him not become circumcised. You don't have to do that. You don't have to become a Jew to get a Christian. It's very clear. You don't have to go through the law, through Christianity, or through, excuse me, Judaism, to become a Christian. It's not required. Some think that that's the way it has to happen, but it's not what the Bible teaches anyway. It's what they teach in their books, but that's not what the Bible teaches. You don't have to become a Jew. The, the Gentiles, guys, the Gentiles never had to hear the Ten Commandments to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you know that? They never had to hear the Ten Commandments. In fact, when the letter was written from the church in Jerusalem, they never said, well, make sure they know everything about Jewish history and all about the Ten Commandments, and that you keep those things, and, and you'll, be, you'll be well. That's not what it says. Abstain from things strangled, from sexual immorality, and so on. A couple other things is all. But as far as the Jews, or Jews to the Gentiles were concerned, don't. They, they're not born into that. They're Gentiles. They can just get saved. They know they're guilty. They have sin. The Holy Spirit's convicted them of their need for a Savior. They know that. In, instinctively, God's placed that in their hearts. He's written that on the tablets of their hearts. They know that. They can just get saved. Yeah, some don't think so, but Bible teaches otherwise. So, right there. You don't have to become circumcised. Um, nothing but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one... Remain in the same calling in which he was called. Stay where you are. You don't have to migrate. Were you called while a slave? Now, um, here's what he says. Uh, Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. That's a very important verse. Okay? If you can get free, get free from being a slave. You're not, you're not saying, well, I was, I was born again in Jesus, from Jesus Christ. And I was a slave, so not to be a slave forever. No, no, no. You, if you can buy your freedom, if you can earn your way out of it, if there's a way to get free, absolutely get free. You're not, you're not in bondage. You don't have to stay there. But don't let it worry you that you're a slave. Because as soon as you get free, you're a slave to Jesus. So it really doesn't matter. You're going to serve Christ, whether that's in Potiphar's house as a slave, like Joseph, or whether you're a free man like Paul. It doesn't make any difference. You're still going to serve Christ. So... Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Um, were you called while you're a slave? Maybe. Uh, maybe not. Don't be concerned about it. For he who is called in the Lord while a, while a slave is the Lord's freedman. You're free. You, like, like Paul and, and Silas when they were singing in the, in, the, in the prison, in the center of the prison, they, they weren't in trouble. Everybody else was. As they were singing praises and psalms, they weren't the ones in jail. They weren't the captive audience. They were put there to 
have that captive audience. So it's not like they were incarcerated. Everybody else was incarcerated by God. Likewise, he who is Lord's free, I'm sorry, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Like Paul, he's been apprehended. I've been apprehended for this ministry. I, I can't but serve the Lord. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. It's okay to stay where you are. Now, um, a lot of people try to take this and, and, and try to take Christianity and, and they put it in Paul's time. Remember what Paul's time was. Paul's time was with Caesar Nero and the lions and, you know, bad stuff happening to Christians. Not a whole lot to say. It was kind of a democracy, but not for Christians. They didn't have any say, really. That's not the world we live in here in America. It's two separate governments, two absolutely different governments. We live in a government that, where our nation is of the people, by the people, for the people, right? That's, uh, that's the Gettysburg Address. I'm going to read that to you here in a minute because I want you to understand our responsibility is this right here that I made a point to focus on. Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. If it's possible for you to get freed up to minister to God more, then do it. We live in a country where we're absolutely free to worship God, therefore we should use it to worship God more. We can't sit back and say, well, we're just Christians. We need to keep our mouths shut and keep our heads hung low. No, if you were in Russia, you had to do that. In America, uh-uh. No, no, no. We have authority here, and we're to use it. So let me read to you the Gettysburg Address where this... Uh, he actually, Abraham Lincoln took it from Tyndall um, in the 1300s, I think, when Tyndall got his copy of the Bible. He wrote this in his preface, and so he, Abraham Lincoln took it from that and used it, but he, he added a little bit to it. So let me read it. Four score and seven years ago, some of you memorized it. Our fathers, this is our country. This is how we operate Christianity in this framework. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived birthed in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, created by God as equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here. Well, little did he know, right? But it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln, November 19th, 1863, Gettysburg. That's the government as Christians we operate under. It's our absolute duty to be strong, motivated Christians in this free country that we have because no place on the earth has what we have. For us to sit back, bury our hand, heads in the sand and say, I, what can I do? I can't do anything about it. I'm just not a voter. I just don't know if I like the political process. I just like, I don't like talking about that stuff. You don't get to say that as a Christian. We live in a free country. Paul says specifically here, do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. We owe it. We're required. We haven't been strong-armed. Now, we do put our heads in the sand. If we do stay out of the political process, then we will be under Nero. 
but we're not there. So we're required. We're called to this. Abraham Lincoln knew it. Um, and even Paul knew it. He knew what it should be like. Now, verse 25, concerning virgins. And he's talking about young maidens, young gals. I have not commanded, or I, I, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. In other words, God didn't necessarily tell me to tell you this, but I've also received from God a specific calling on my life to say things like this. Okay. Uh, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is, stay single. In the current distresses, in the political climate that they're talking about, that they live in right there, it's better that you stay single because you don't want to be caught being a Christian and drag your poor wife into it now. It's better under the distresses that you're in. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she is not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have troubles in the flesh, but I would spare you. There's a lot of marriage jokes. We, you know, I'll spare you from being married. That's not what he's talking about, obviously. He's talking about there's going to be a lot of difficulties. There's going to be a lot of hardship for a wife to see her husband at the gallows. That's something she'd never have to experience if she wasn't married to that person at the gallows. She could feel empathy for the person who's about to be hung for being a Christian or thrown to the lions for being a Christian, but never the depth, you know. A lot of that is going on here. In uh, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-four, it says it is better... Um, is this where I want to be? Yeah. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, what I mean by that is, if you just seek a wife who's either not a Christian or just for the sake of getting married, that's not a good thing. It, it's, it's better, it would be better to sleep outside on the roof than to be in the house with the contentious wife. The second proverb is this, a foolish son is the ruin of his father, and a contentious contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Now, this is, this is not against women. This is against contention. Okay, it can go either way. Uh, it'd be better for a wife to live on the roof of her house than to be in the, inside the house with a contentious husband. I think we can all say amen to that. And also, if you, if, you know, any time there's contentions in the house, some reason we get it in our heads that wives are just supposed to put up with the contentions, but guys don't have to. <laughs> no, neither of us are supposed to be having contentions in the house. We're both supposed to make it a sanctuary for each other, a beautiful place, a resting place, a place of contentment and peace. I don't want my wife walking around on eggshells because she doesn't know if I'm in a good mood or not when I come home from work. It doesn't make any difference. I'm, I'm here to make sure her life's better. And then she's here to make my life better. And so keep that in mind. The world is going to throw enough at us. I think that's what Paul's getting at here, verses 25 through 28. There's enough problems in this world, distresses in this world. They don't want to make it any worse. Okay. So if you're bound to a wife, in other words, she's not a believer, don't seek to get loosed from it. Live with it. If you are... Loose from a wife, let it, let it lie, let it be there, you know. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Now, he's not saying... You know, if you laugh, you shouldn't be. If you're crying, you shouldn't be. What he's saying is don't become so worried or anxious about sad times or good times in this life. That isn't, the mountains and the valleys that you go through in life shouldn't be that. Once you become a Christian, it should be pretty even. Well, this is great, but it's nothing like heaven. Well, this is horrible, but this isn't going to last long. That's the mentality he's trying to get across here. Don't, don't get so upset about it. Don't be so tossed. 
satisfied. This is situations that come up in life. But I want you to be without care, he says in verse 32. I want you to be carefree. You're called to that, to be carefree. That's what eternity is supposed to give us. That's what eternity, uh, understanding of salvation is supposed to bring us, is that carefreeness. Don't be concerned about it. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. You can see Paul struggling here, you know. I'm not telling you not to get married, but I'm saying only do it if you have to. I mean, that's really the nuts and bolts of this. That's the boiling it down. If you can do it, do it. Stay, stay unmarried. Stay single because you'll be free to worship God. You'll be free to serve God. You can go to Africa anytime you want. You can go to Russia anytime you want. God can move you anytime you want. But I tell you what, when you get married, it's a whole other ball game. Now it's asking. I think God's calling me to Russia. What do you think, honey? It's different. Whereas before, you would have never asked that question. You'd be on the next flight. It's different. That's all he's saying. You get caught up in these things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When you're a soldier, it's, it's, it's hard to be married for these guys in the guard. We've got a lot of folks in our church that have lost their spouses to the guard. They're on deployment for a year. That's hard. That's hard for anybody, you know? Whereas when I was in the you know, military... No, you know, nobody really cared. I didn't care. I was just going, you know. I could tell, I, I could let people know or not let people know. No one really cared, you know. I mean, they cared. My parents loved me and all that. My sister loved me, but I didn't have anybody wondering. I didn't have to ask. I didn't have to be concerned with their well-being. I just, I was off, you know. That's all Paul's saying here. If you can do it, great. If you can't, hey, get married. Um, it's not a leash that I'm trying to put on you. I'm saying it's just really freeing to get stoned with rocks, left for dead, raised from the dead, brought back into the city, and I can keep preaching. I don't have to worry about what my wife's going to think when I get home with all the cuts and bruises. You know. All right. Verse 36. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his, toward a virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, in other words, she's old enough, He's not saying that she's a spinster. He's saying, you know, she needs to be old enough to be married. You can't just have some Christian guy saying, I just can't control myself. You're 11 and I love you. No. Wrong. She needs to be past the flower of her youth. Don't awaken love before it's time, he says. And thus it must be. Let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. It's okay. You know, two believers want to get married, go for it. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, that's the key word there, he doesn't need it, need her, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. Uh, He's talking about the dads now. Um, Probably was before a little bit too there, but... um, if you want to keep your daughter and she's fine at you know, staying at home and she'd just rather be at home with you, that's fine too. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Okay. Um, so anyway, there's, a, there's an age of accountability. She needs to be of a certain age. Um, and then if, if so, that's okay. You can let your daughters out of the house. You, know? um, you don't have to lock them up, basically. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Remember, marry a believer. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. So there he throws in his opinion, but then he puts a little twist on it at the end and says, Yeah, but I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit, so I think what I said was of the Spirit, you know. He has to be careful how he says this thing. He says, I don't really have any direct scripture to back this up, but I really think I think it's good. I think what I'm telling you is, is wise counsel. 
And just a couple things to, to finish up here. He says uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, all Scripture, Paul says to Timothy, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correct, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. In other words, Scripture is everything. Very important. That's, that's how we get equipped. That's how we're all Scripture. Now, Peter says about Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, including this letter from the Corinthians that we just read, says this about Paul. Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. So Peter just said, every one of Paul's epistles are scripture. Paul says every scripture is God-breathed. And so that's why I throw that in there so you understand. It's not certain points in the Bible that we believe. We believe it all. It's all there, even Paul's letters. Even when he says, I think it's my own opinion, we need to look at it as if it's God-breathed, okay? Even though he says it's his own opinion here. So, and that's where we conclude tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this, uh, for this chapter. We know they had some questions about marriage, and even for us, we have a worldview of marriage. Uh, we know what's been done in the past. We know what we're evolving into as far as marriage goes. But um, when we get into your word, you always set us straight. You always show us where we're supposed to be. You always answer those questions we have in the back of our minds. And uh, we thank you for that. You've covered it. You knew these were questions we would have as believers, and, um, and you've already answered those for us. Um, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, help us to be admonished tonight by your word. Help us to be corrected by your word and be encouraged by your word. And then help us, Lord, to obey your word, more importantly, um, that we do what your word told us to do tonight. So, Lord, help us to be all that we can be for our spouses. And, Lord, if they're unbelievers, God, we pray for their salvation. And we pray that we would be the best example of Jesus in their life, that they're either without an excuse or that they become saved. That's our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.